Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. It's really good to see you all here. It is. Good to be together. Good to worship the Lord. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. Glad that you are with us, and, and uh, we're thinking about you, and glad you're joining us in worshiping the Lord online. If you've got your Bible with you, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. If you could choose one word to describe life in our country over the past six months, what word would you choose? Think to yourself for a minute about that. <laughs> the word that I came up with for me, for, that I think best describes everything we've been through in our country with all the change and conflict and, uh, is stressful. That's the word I came up with. I'm curious, what other words did you guys come up with? Yeah? Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not going to list all the stressful things that's facing us in this world right now because you live in this world with me, and you already know them. So uh, as, as we think, though, about the different stressors in our lives right now, um, all of these, I would say, maybe extraordinary stressors that we have experienced this year, combined with all of the normal stressors of life, have made things extra tense for most of us. And then when, you, when we as stressed individuals um, share a house or a classroom or a workplace with other stressed individuals, things get even more tense, right? Even, even more complicated. So if, if your marriage is under unexpected or unusual strain right now, I would not be surprised. I've heard, I've heard from that is feedback I'm getting them uh, in our church and community. These are stressful times. And um, if things are more tense in your house right now or with family members, if your family members are more easily triggered than normal, I wouldn't be surprised. Thankfully, though, as believers, we have special access to the Lord's supernatural peace and to a supernatural hope in the midst of the stress we find ourselves in. So the question is this, how does our faith in Christ impact the way that we live during these stressful times? Or are we just plowing straight ahead just like our unbelieving neighbors? How, how does our faith impact the way that we interact with one another in our household? Our faith in Jesus, our reverence of Jesus, our love for Jesus ought to shape the way that we treat our families during these stressful times. And last week we read Paul's instructions to Christian households and specifically to husbands and wives about how to love one another. And this morning we're gonna read Paul's instructions to all of the family members, to everybody in the house. So let's begin by reading Paul's instructions to children and to parents. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, 
says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may, have long, may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So first, let's talk about Paul's instructions for children here. In this verse, children uh, refers to children, obviously, to teenagers, and perhaps to young adults who are still living at home with their parents. Now, what I love here is that Paul addresses children. Okay, and what this does is it implies a few things. This is not, we're going back 2,000 years. This is the Roman world. Children are not high on the uh, socioeconomic status or just their, 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 their status in society. And Paul takes time to address them, just like Jesus did. And it implies two things. First, it implies that you young people are very valuable. You play an important role in the church and you play an important role in your family. And your attitude and your behaviors and your words affect the other people in your household for good or for bad because you're part of that family unit. Now second, by addressing the children here, Paul implies this, I love this, that young people can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, where do we get that? Well, remember that all of these instructions here are a continuation of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you remember where we were at a few weeks ago, he's like, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting to one another, and then he starts describing the different relationships of submission. So, <laughs> children and teenagers, your age does not limit God and his ability to fill you, to anoint you, to use you in powerful ways in your family and in your neighborhood and in your schools and in this world. You can be saved by Jesus. You can be friends with Jesus. You can serve Jesus. You can do mighty things for Jesus as a young person. And history shows us that some of the greatest things ever done in the history of this world, God has used young people to do them, right? So kids, when you're reading your Bible, just take note, huh, this is interesting. This person was eight years old. This person was 12 years old. This person was, you know, just t start taking note of the age of the people. The disciples themselves most likely were not too old. Um, anyways, I won't go into all that, but you should just know that you can do mighty things for Jesus as a young person. And then Paul tells children here two things to do. And then he gives two reasons why to do those things. So Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so the first thing Paul tells children to do is to obey your parents in the Lord. And the reason you should do that is what? What does he say? Because or for this is right. So another way you could say this is, Children, obey your parents in the ways of the Lord because that's the right thing to do. So, so if your parents, now remember this letter would have been written to a church, okay? So Paul's talking primarily to believers in this setting. So if your parents are believers and they love the Lord, he's saying you should obey them. If they're trying to lead your family the way that God tells them to in scripture, you should obey them. 
And that's why Paul says that this is right to obey your Christian parents because your parents are ultimately trying to do God's will even though, no doubt, they don't do it perfectly, right? But when you obey your parents, what's happening is you're actually obeying God because who does this command come from? God. It's coming from God as he fills Paul with the Holy Spirit to write these words from us. And so we're really obeying God when we obey our parents. Now, in the Bible, um, whenever God tells us to obey people in authority, God means that obeying them is the general rule for us to follow. That being said, God doesn't want you to obey people if they tell you to do something that goes against God's instructions in the Bible. Right? God doesn't want you to obey someone if you think that you would be sinning by obeying them. Uh, for example, if a parent tells you, if your parent tells you not to follow Jesus, then you can't obey them. If your parent tells you to do something that's against the law, then don't do it. If your parent tells you to do something with your body that is wrong, then don't do it. And if you ever feel in danger at home or because of your parents, you should call 911 and let your pastor or elders know or another trusted adult in the church, okay? Your parents are accountable to the church and to the authorities of the United States. So apart from these special situations, you should normally obey your Christian parents. Um, You should listen to what they tell you, especially If deep down you know they love you and they want good for you and and when you sin against them, not if, um, when you sin against them, you should apologize to them and you should ask God to help you not sin that way anymore, okay? We ask for forgiveness, we, we confess, we ask for forgiveness and we repent or turn the other way. Okay, so the second thing Paul then tells children to do is to honor your father and mother. And he's just restating the sixth commandment of the 10 commandments to honor your father and mother. And the reason God tells you to honor your parents is what? What does it say in there? So that it may go well with you and so that you may live long in the land. Now obviously he was originally talking to the Israelites here, um, but this applies to us too. So what is first of all the difference between obeying your parents and honoring your parents? Obeying your parents means listening to them and doing what they say. Honoring your parents means respecting them, speaking well of them, and taking care of them. So the opposite of honoring your parents is acting disrespectfully toward them, talking disrespectfully toward them, saying bad things about them when they're not around, and not taking care of them. And God says that if you respect your parents, kids, and if you speak well of your parents and you take care of your parents, then life will go well for you and you will live long. In other words, young people, you will be much more blessed if you honor and obey your parents. That's the gist of the verse. Your life is gonna go better for you if you follow the commands that your parents give you from scripture. Your life is gonna go better for you if you try to serve your parents and your siblings rather than always expecting them to serve you. God will spare you from many troubles and trials 
if you honor and obey your parents. Now, this doesn't mean that if you just honor and obey your parents, then life is going to be easy for you. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. It's not what it's saying. What it means is that if you try to honor and obey your parents, your life is going to go much better for you, and God is going to bless you. Okay? He's going to bless you in, in, in amazing ways. Because why? Again, who are you ultimately honoring and obeying when you honor and obey your parents? God. Because he is the one who tells you to honor and obey your parents. Now, so it's hard sometimes to honor and obey your parents, right? Right, kids? Or adults who have parents? Right? It is hard. So, so what do we do when it's hard? And, because honestly, this is the funny thing. It's so easy to go on mission trips and serve people we don't know, right? We don't know any of their stuff. The hardest, the hardest thing to do is to live out the commands of the scripture and the people closest to us, the people we know all their junk, the people who we interact with on a daily basis. Um, if it's hard for you to serve your parents or siblings sometimes, don't think of it as only serving them. That's what the New Testament tells us over and over again. Think of it as serving the Lord by serving them. Because that is what you're doing, God says. When you think that way about serving others, then you can serve and worship the Lord in your heart no matter who you're serving and no matter what you're doing when you serve. So when you take out the trash, you're not just taking out the trash for your family or your parents. You're taking out the trash to honor the Lord because the Lord tell you, tells you to obey your parents. You're taking out Jesus' trash to the curb. I mean, that changes the attitude towards service. Um, and it makes everything a potential act of worship for us. Okay, now let's move on. Let's talk to the parents, okay? Let's talk about Paul's instructions to fathers. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So fathers play a critical role in the spiritual growth of their children, right? We know that. Just think about your own father. When you think about the way that your father raised you, he might have done things that were helpful to you that you want to imitate. Your father might also have done things that were unhelpful or even hurtful to you that you do not want to imitate for your family. And like we talked about last week, because of our sin nature, we fathers and husbands will now struggle with being good leaders of our families. That's part of the curse. We're gonna, our, 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 Natural inclination is just to be bad leaders. And like we read in Genesis 3.16, our sinful tendency now is to rule over our wives and kids, to dominate them, to show them who's boss, to be harsh with them, to mainly have them serve us rather than to serve them, and that's wrong. And so to put these sinful attitudes to death, what Paul has been telling us in the past couple chapters is this. We must, through faith, take off our old selves every day and put on our new selves in Christ. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with supernatural love, supernatural power, supernatural courage, so that we can now lead our families as servant leaders with the power of God working in us and the love of God working in us. Whether we're husbands, whether we are dads, whether we're single men, what this looks like is, is we need to joyfully 
humble ourselves before the Lord every day. And the way we do that is by filling ourselves with his word, by worshiping him in our thoughts, with our words and actions, by praying to him. Because when we don't do that, when we don't take any time for the Lord, when we don't interact with the Lord, when we're not heeding his word, when we're not worshiping him, we are by our actions telling God, we don't need you. I don't need your supernatural and love, uh, love and courage and power to fill me to be the kind of leader you want me to be. That's dangerous. Because <laughs> what did Jesus say in John 15? Abide in me and abide in my love. And that's what we need to do as, as fathers and, and mothers too. Abide in the Lord and in his love. Um, further, as husbands and fathers, we can't give to our wives and kids what we don't have ourselves. So how can we expect our children to read the scriptures and to learn how to pray and how to worship God if we don't read the scriptures and if we don't pray and if we don't worship God and if we don't model that for them? And probably, my guess is for most of you men, this sounds a bit daunting, right? I, it is for me, um, but I'm also thankful that as men, well, first of all, I'm thankful for the grace of God that I'm not saved by being a perfect dad, I'm saved because of God's grace through faith in Jesus. But I'm also thankful that as men who love Jesus and who want to follow Jesus, God gave us each other. We were saved not as, or not into individual life with God, we were saved into a body, into a corporate life, into a life as a church. That's why um, we, he made us a church so that we can strengthen one another, help one another, learn how to follow Jesus together. That's why our church has community groups and Bible studies so that we can strengthen one another and help one another follow Jesus. One of my favorite moments in, in my community group has been when other dads have sat down with my kid and encouraged him and asked him, how are you, what, what's the Lord doing in your life? We need, to, we need each other to do this. Um, and so then, as we seek to be dads who reflect Jesus to our wives and kids, Paul tells us this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children's hearts. Don't exasperate your children. Don't exasperate your children, especially when they're making progress and their walks with the Lord when they're actually showing some signs of repentance when they sin. Fathers, don't forget what it's like to be a child. Don't forget what it's like to be a teenager and a young adult. Don't exercise your authority heavy-handedly, okay? Yes, you have God-given authority over your kids and wife, but don't you want them to respect you too? Don't you want your wife and your kids to love you, to want to be around you, to want to obey you because they know that you want what's best for them? Then work hard to be an encouragement to your kids. Work hard to be an encouragement to your wife. Don't be a, a discouragement to your kids and wife. Um, Pastor Tony Merida provides a helpful list I found for parents of possible causes of angering and exasperating our children. What does this look like in practical ways? I think we're gonna put it up there. Yeah, sweet. Failing to take into account the fact that they're kids. Comparing our kids to others. 
disciplining them inconsistently, failing to express approval even at small accomplishments, failing to express our love to them, disciplining them for reasons other than willful disobedience and defiance, pressuring them to pursue our goals, not their own, withdrawing love from them, or overprotecting them, overreacting in anger and harshly disciplining them. So what does Paul tell us to do as fathers instead of provoking and exasperating our children? In verse four, he says this, but bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's talk about bringing up our children in the discipline of the Lord and in the instruction of the Lord. Let's start with discipline. Um, we are, as fathers and mothers, commanded by God to discipline our children in a careful, God-honoring way. Okay? So to, to teach our children right from wrong and to teach them the consequences of bad behavior, we must work to discipline them fairly, consistently, not harshly, and not in a fit of rage. That's hard sometimes. And when we discipline, we must keep the end goal in mind for our kids. What's the big picture here? We want our kids to do what is good and right in the Lord's sight and to know that when they fail to do what is good and right, God still loves them and he still forgives them in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Our goal is not simply to make moral children. Our goal for them is to know and love Jesus Christ and his incredible grace. Amen? Okay. So what this means then is we are not seeking to damage our kids through discipline. We seek to teach our kids. We're trying to restore our kids through discipline just like our Heavenly Father does for us. And then sometimes disciplinary measures are more serious, right? When that happens at times, it's important that we talk to our kids gently and we need the Lord's help to do this. Lord, like if you're not in a good place to talk to your kids because your anger is just flooding over you, that's not a good time to, to talk with your kids, okay? Don't do it right then. Wait until you chill out, until you can be filled with the Spirit. Um, we need to talk to our kids gently at the right time. We need to tell them that we love them, that we forgive them, that we are sinners too on the journey with them. Our kids need to know that this is, this is why Jesus died, to forgive us and to bring us to God and to bring us, to reconcile us with one another and our families. We need to tell them that Jesus rose from the dead to declare us guilty, uh, excuse me, not guilty of our sin, so that, sorry, so that we don't rest in our guilt, right? Because some kids, especially some of us, like, there's this intellectual component in which we all know we're guilty. Some of us really at different times and some of our children because of their different sensitivities are especially prone to feeling guilty and they need to hear that Jesus, that's why he rose from the dead 
is to declare them not guilty. That's what justification means. And um, our kids need to know that right now, the reason Jesus is alive, it's for his glory, but it's also to, it's because he loves us and because he wants us with, the, with him. He's, he's, he's the God who said, Father, I want them to be where I'm at. He's holding us close to the Lord right now, even in our failures. Isn't that awesome? God loves us. Um, okay, so that's discipline of the Lord. Let's talk briefly about instruct, uh, bringing our kids up in the instruction of the Lord. It means that parents were to teach and counsel and encourage and warn our children in the ways of the Lord. Who is primarily responsible for teaching your children about the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ? You are, dads and moms. This isn't something that can be delegated to the public schools or to a junior church. Um, this is something that is, we, we're gonna teach, we wanna you intellectually teach our kids here at this church as much as we can about the love and grace of Jesus Christ and holiness of God. Yet, we know that God's grace in Jesus Christ is often something that needs to be caught rather than taught. So is it modeled in your home? And, and so that's why, again, it comes back to me and where I'm at with my relationship with God as a parent. Um, and I found that it's a good idea to instruct your children um, in planned, more formal ways and in unplanned, more spontaneous ways. For instance, like Jackson and Urash, when I went fishing with my kids, Recently, you know, we're, we're, we're going out, we're, on the, we're in a vehicle driving to go fishing, and I'm like, hey, let's read one of the Psalms together about nature. Let's just worship God. Let's just, God made all of this, and we get to go enjoy it. Let's, let, we have 20 minutes here. Let's worship the Lord and have your kid read a Psalm from the Bible. Uh, when you're eating dinner together, you know, tell, instead of putting your kids on the spot, tell your kids something that you're learning. What, what is a way that God is convicting you and shaping you in your life or teaching you in whatever scripture you might be reading or a book that you're reading? Um, at bedtime, you know, reading 10 or 15 verses of the Bible together and just talking about, man, why we need Jesus and why we're so thankful for him and his grace. You can memorize a Bible verse together as a family listen to fun Christian music together in the car. This is really important though. I wanna say this to our parents. We gotta show our kids that knowing Jesus and following him is the most exciting and joy-giving thing they'll ever do. Hear that? It's exciting. You want adventure? Follow Jesus. You wanna live a life that matters? Follow Jesus. Eternal life with Christ is not a mere duty. It's a delight. This is a privilege. We get to do this. And so hopefully, by God's grace, our kids will see that in our own lives and want to be part of it. Um, and then if you want more ideas, um, you know, dads and moms, go to our church website at cedarhome.org slash resources. Um, scroll down. We've got books for kids, books for teenagers. Buy one of those books. And then not just give it to your kid, but read it with your child. Right? Read another one after that. The, the point is, I would say, just we've got to keep abiding in Christ together as our family. We have to keep remembering he is the vine. And we need ongoing sustenance constantly to be healthy and full of him. So keep filling your family with God's word and with the message um, that we obey God 
not to get him to love and accept us. Rather, God accepts us when we trust in Jesus, and so now we obey him and worship him because we love him and he loves us. That's the motive. We love him. That's why we want to worship him. Now, in general, I just want to say this. To parents and children, it's hard being a parent and it's hard being a kid. And so we have to both show one another lots of grace and lots of forgiveness because we all mess up. We all have our failures. We all have our shortcomings. And so, like Paul has said so far in this letter, we need to bear with one another. We need to seek to be patient with one another. We need to seek to serve one another well because when we're serving each other, we're actually serving Jesus. Okay, that's a great thing. Now, so that's Paul's instructions, main instructions to parents and children in this letter. Now, in addition to the husband-wife relationship and the parent-child relationship, ancient Roman households very often included relationships between masters and bond servants. And bond servants were slaves in the household. And before we read Paul's instructions for masters and for slaves, let's talk for a minute about slavery among Christians in the first century. Why are we, again, why are we talking about slavery right now? Well, because Paul tags it on because it's part of being part of the family unit. It's part of being part of the, the household in that context. Um, to be clear, the Apostle Paul does not advocate, advocate for slavery, okay? Paul does not say slavery is a good thing. Rather, the, this is, he's addressing a fact, a reality of the culture of his day that slavery was a very prevalent institution. Listen, one out of three people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Roughly 180 million people in the Roman Empire, 60 million were slaves, Okay, so Paul's audience here, one out of three of them would have been slaves in, in Ephesus. That's a huge portion of your church. And uh, by God's grace in Ephesus, many of these slaves put their faith in Jesus and were saved. And by God's grace, many of the masters put their faith in Jesus and were saved. So now Paul's telling them how to interact with one another in light of their faith in Jesus because their faith in Jesus should change and inform the way that they now relate with one another, both when they're gathered in the church and when they're at home or in public together. Um, it's also very important to mention this, that slavery in the Roman Empire was not based on race like it was in America. Okay. People of all colors and races were slaves in the Roman Empire. So Klein Snodgrass is a scholar and he writes this, that people became slaves in the Roman Empire through birth or parental selling or abandonment, captivity in war, inability to pay debts, and voluntary attempts to better one's condition. Race was not a factor. And slaves did not only do menial jobs. Slaves often did the same jobs as everybody else in the city. So you had slaves working for the city. You had slaves managing businesses. You had many slaves were more educated than their masters. Slaves could own property, and they were allowed to save money to buy their freedom. And many slaves gained their freedom by the age of 30 years old. So I mention all of this not to glamorize slavery in the ancient 
world because obviously it wasn't glamorous and there were people probably in terrible conditions. But we do need to, as Americans and as, you know, uh, in the Western world, as we read scripture, understand that it was different type of slavery in the ancient world than our race-based slavery in America, okay? Um, And Paul's purpose in this passage is not to write this long treatise on slavery. He's trying to tell masters and slaves how to follow Jesus. Now let's look at what he says in Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. Paul writes, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing, okay, bond, sorry, bond servants of Christ, okay, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. So Paul gives instructions to the slaves and then to the masters. Let's start then by talking about Paul's instructions to the slaves or the bond servants. This is really great, you guys. You have to see this. Paul is elevating the slaves here in a way that totally went against the culture of his day. Again, he, by addressing the slaves in the room, this is so countercultural. He's addressing them as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's telling them they are just as valuable as every other person in the church. He's saying, your job, Christians, doesn't determine your value. Your economic status does not determine your value. Your clothes does not determine your value. Jesus determines your value. God dearly loves every believer, whether they're a slave or a master, and they're both an important part of his body. And his basic instruction then for Christian slaves is this. Whatever you do, work heartily or work hard at it as for the Lord and not for men. Trust in the Lord. Now listen, we don't know all the circumstances these slaves were in, right? Some of them, they may have been in very unjust situations. We don't know that. But he's, he's saying this, trust in the Lord and in his sovereignty. As you serve your master who may or may not be a believer, as you serve your master with fear and trembling because you are actually serving the sovereign Lord Jesus. So serve with all your heart because they're serving Jesus. And then he says, don't be dishonest. Don't be lazy. Don't only look when your master's looking or don't only work when your master's looking. That's what it means uh, when he talks about uh, not by the way of eye service, which I didn't know what that meant, but it means it's like somebody who's working when the master's looking and then when he turns away, they're kind of, you know, just being lazy, whatever. He's saying, hey, whether your master's there or not, work hard. Be a person of integrity. Um, because you know that God is with you wherever you're at and you can worship God wherever you're at, doing whatever you're doing. And then he says this, don't forget this. God is gonna reward you for every good work that you do. Wow. So again, 
Paul is showing slaves how their work, whatever that might be, is ultimately, ultimately an act of worship to God. And the same is true for all of us. Okay? Whatever type of work we do, whether inside the home, outside the home, we should do it heartily. We should work hard at it as for the Lord and not for men. Okay? And then Paul moves on and gives instructions to the masters. And my favorite phrase in this whole passage that just hit me this week is in verse 9, where Paul says, masters, do the same to them. <laughs> masters, do the same to them. What an awesome countercultural thing to say. Think about this. Christian masters, I want you to serve your slaves the same way they serve you. <laughs> That's awesome. Talk about taking the sting out of slavery. You can see why the trajectory of Christianity was one which abolished slavery, okay? The Christian master must no longer view his slave as a piece of property, but as an extremely valuable human being made in the image of God who deserves to be loved and respected and appreciated and encouraged. Wow. This isn't something they were hearing anywhere else, okay? So again, it appears that Paul's whole theme in this section for everybody in the household is that, man, we all gotta humble ourselves before the Lord. And we gotta seek to serve and love one another no matter which position we hold in this household. We've all gotta seek to worship the Lord by serving one another. Serving one another, whatever our position is. And then he adds this to the Christian masters. He says, stop your threatening. We don't know exactly what was going on, but he's saying, do not threaten your slaves. Don't treat them like property. You better serve them and encourage them, and you better model the love of Jesus for them. And I love this. He levels the playing field when he tells masters, don't forget you got a master too. <laughs> and that master's the same as your slave's master. You are not ultimately your slave's master. God is. That's what he's saying. And your slave, God is telling the master, is just as valuable to me as you are. And I will show no partiality between slaves or masters. Wow. That'll put some fear and trembling in the hearts of some masters. Um, this is amazing. And, and all of this applies to us as well. No matter what color we are, what race we are, no matter what we do for work, no matter how rich we are or poor we are, no matter how old we are or young we are, we in Christ are valuable and cherished by our Father in heaven, and we all play an important role in his body. Our behaviors, attitudes, and actions affect the other members of the body, the other members of the household unit, and so to the best of our ability, we wanna serve one another because we're serving the Lord from our hearts. We are indeed living in a stressful time. And as much as our stress has the potential to bring out the worst in us, in our households and at work, let's really try to lean in and follow Jesus together. I think that's, I think that's the command for scripture here. As we started going through all this new COVID time in history, I, the thing I've come away with, man, this situation has the ability to bring out the worst in Christians it also has the potential to bring out the best in Christians. And I pray that that's what it would do, that we would seek to be servants, 
not do things the way that our flesh would have us do it or the way that the world does it. Let's serve one another. Let's bear with one another. Let's be patient with one another. Let's hold our tongues. Let's really try to be like Jesus. Let's thank God often for everything we have. Let's ask the Lord to fill us. Lord, give me your spirit, your, your, your spirit's anointing and your, your power and your courage to follow you right now. And then in light of eternity, we get to remember this, that whatever happens in this life, when Jesus is on the throne right now. He is sovereign over everything right now. This world is not spinning out of control. He's in control. He is the Lord. He is our master. He is back from the dead and he's coming back and soon and very soon we're gonna see him and meet him face to face. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for these instructions, Lord, which just tell us to humble ourselves before you, to not think that we're big stuff, but to remember, man, I need Jesus. And I'm so thankful that Jesus loves me and that he wants me, that the Father loves me, that he wants me, that the Spirit loves me and wants me. And Oh, God, we just pray that you would help us to have an eternal perspective on our lives. To, to have a, an invisible, spec, uh, a visible, invisible and visible uh, perspective on our lives, knowing that this world is transient and everything that we can see with our eyes is gonna pass away. <laughs> but you, Lord, remain, and we remain in you. And we just thank you, God, that you're for us and not against us. And we ask that as we seek to follow you as members of our households and families and work. You would give us power to follow you and help us to live out the gospel as we forgive one another, show grace as as you have shown us, and seek to just love others, Lord, with your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Good to see you guys. Um, Hope you have a great week, and, and we'll see you next week, if not before. Thanks.